What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. chapter 5. And I want to read this little section to you here um, in verse, verses, uh, let's see, verses, is that, yeah, I'm in chapter 5, sorry, verse 5 through, um, I think it's 16. And it's one of those sections that you can read and just either you can be like, yeah, that's really cool. And then you just kind of keep reading. But, um, but we're going to ask a, a question, which is, what, what's the point? What's the point now? Like, that's great then, but what about now? It says, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers, say all, again, that that word keeps showing up a lot through the book of Acts when when it comes to the church. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple, the temple area known as, as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regards for them. Um, they were refusing to join because they just had a fresh experience from the earlier verses in chapter 5, and it scared the mess out of them. You can go back and read that later. It says, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats. Check this out. So that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Part of, part of me sees that as a visual, and, and I think it's kind of funny. Anyway, I'll get to that. It says, crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and, their pos- and, and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. So, so that's where we're going to pause for a second. We can either read that and be like, man, that's so cool. What's next? Or we can ask ourselves the question, what's the point? Because here's what you got to understand. We can't make the Bible say what the Bible wasn't saying to the original audience that it was written to. But we also can't read what God is speaking in Scripture and say, well, I don't think that applies to me today. Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. Acts is all about the story of the Holy Spirit and how God decided to move through people after the resurrection of Christ so that the message of Christ could go throughout the entire earth. And not just a message in fact and a message in data and a message that is educational or, or, or you know, just cerebral, but a message that is that of power. A message of power that has come to bring change and transformation to a sin-filled and broken world. Because if we're not about that, then all we're doing is religion. And I want to tell you, religion is a terrible thing. Like, aren't, aren't, what are you talking about? Like, Christian, isn't that a religion? Yeah, yeah, it gets categorized. And, uh, and I think the reason it gets categorized is because there's a lot of people that like to live with the Christian claim but not live with the Christian life. So when that's the case, it just becomes another thing that's out there like anything else. We say it all the time. Religion is, is not God pursuing humanity. Religion is man pursuing God through our own means and what makes sense to us and our own efforts. And if you know anything through following how God has interacted with humanity and vice versa, you'll realize that our efforts to go after God the way that we want to don't usually add up. They don't usually produce the results that we are hoping for. But that's the beauty is that we don't have to do that because God is aggressively pursuing us. 
when we were in our darkest, most sinful, broken moment, God was still pursuing us with his love and his grace. When Jesus went to that cross and he hung on the cross and he was beaten, he was nailed to that cross, crown of thorns pounded into his skull. He's sitting there thinking of you, he's thinking of me, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So I want to make a statement that when we look at the point of what I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through Acts, I want you to understand there is nothing more important than the presence of God. Nothing, like absolutely nothing more important than the presence of God. So, so what is the point? Okay, let's, let's reflect. So this is what, again, I was talking about the week before and even thinking of what's, okay, God, what are you going to be speaking through this for this next week? And, and the Holy Spirit said, he goes, I want you to pause. And I want, us, I want you to take the church, I want you to recap. Because I want to make sure that everyone sees, they understand the point of what God is doing up to what's happened so far. Because what we see through, especially the first five chapters of the book of Acts, is we see the formation and we see the purpose and the mission and the power of the church established. And from there, the rest of Acts really begins to unpack how the church begins to spread and expand and how God begins to move through his people. But if we miss the point of this first section, then we miss the whole thing. So so let's recap just a little bit, even going back before Acts. So we have the Gospels. New Testament, we have Jesus in the flesh, fully God, fully man, who left heaven to come and take on the form of humanity so that he may be the savior of humanity. So he's walking around, he calls some disciples, he's got 12, he calls more, more follow. There's some that say no, believe it or not, if you read through, you're like, man, they really blew it. (laughs) But there's some that said no, and Jesus is doing his thing, and the disciples are watching. Now, if, if I'm there, and maybe you can place yourself in this situation, and I'm with God in the flesh, I, don't, I can't conceive anything that might be better. Like I can't, I can't conceive any, any thought or plan that would be better than being a part of what God is doing when God in the flesh is right there. We're like, man, how, how cool would that have been to walk around with Jesus in the flesh? Like, so you have to understand when he begins to talk to his followers, he's like, hey, not going to be here forever. As a matter of fact, these horrible things are going to happen, but it's the plan of the Father. And it's going to be okay. They're going to arrest me. They're going to brutalize me. They're going to crucify me. But on the third day, we'll rise again. And they're all like, what is, that? what is he saying? Like, what metaphor? Can you? That's great. Can you unpack that? I know you're really deep, Jesus. Unpack this. What does this mean? But he was speaking plainly to them. And he goes, it is better for you if I go. Which, again, this is where I put myself in that situation. I'm like, how could it possibly be better for us if you go? Because you're God in the flesh. Why would it be better if God in the flesh went away from us? And he says, no, I can only, if I'm here in the flesh, I can only be with you in the flesh. But if I go, I can send my spirit. I can send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit won't just be with you. The Holy Spirit will be within you. And when the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive inside of us, it empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. The presence of God that we so desperately need, like the air that we breathe, like the food that we consume so that our body can actually operate and process, like all these, the, the presence of God is so valuable, but it's not good enough for the presence to just be around us. It is, but it also needs to be alive inside of us. And when the presence of God is alive inside of us, things begin to change. 
So we get to Acts chapter 1, and it's, you know, the author Luke is reminding kind of the backstory. Hey, Jesus said at the end, before he ascended back to heaven, he says, hey, I'm giving you all authority in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all the things that I showed you to do. Now, what's interesting is that at that point, that would have been the huddle. That would have been the team huddle. Now, on, on, on three, break with great commission. One, two, three, great commission, let's go. And they would have been like, all right, we're going. Let's do, go do this thing. But Jesus says, but do not go without first receiving my spirit. What he was really saying was, don't you dare go out and try to do spiritual things without my presence. Because without the presence of God, we don't have anything. We have nothing to offer. That's why we can throw scriptures around that are supposed to be life-giving, but if we don't have the presence of God involving and infusing the things that we are doing for God, it just comes out as empty words and religious platitudes. We need the presence. And so I began to think about that. I was like, okay, so we got chapter one and then chapter two, boom. Exactly what Jesus promised happened. They're all meeting together in this, in this upper room. And they're all there. And, and, and part of if, if I follow what has been happening, it leads me to think that they weren't just there for a prayer meeting. Because they were. They were gathered to pray. It says that. But I would also come to the conclusion that they were there praying because Jesus said so. But they were also there in seclusion because they were still terrified. Because it wasn't just before that that they were looking to arrest everybody that had anything to do with Jesus. And so you've got these, these disciples, these followers of Jesus who watched everything happen. And, and, and the 12, they got to see him ascend to heaven, yet still they were missing something to give them the boldness and the courage to be who God was calling them to be. And so while they were gathered and unified together in prayer, there was still some fear there that was keeping them or would keep them from having the boldness to do what God called them to do. But then chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up, and it changes everything. And it says the Holy Spirit came down and appeared as if tongues of fire were ascending from the roof down upon each one of them. And they began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And here's what's interesting. It's, it literally says that from that upper room, they began to spill out into the streets. And what used to be a group of scared, timid people just praying and hoping that what Jesus said would happen might happen, instantaneously turned into a bold, confident group of people filled with the presence, filled with the power of God, and they spilled out. Now, here's what's interesting, because their physical spilling out of the room and beginning to uh, praise the Lord, because people were there from all over the world for a Jewish festival. And it says people from all over the world were there, and they were hearing them praising God in their own language from where they came from. That's the Holy Spirit using that. That wasn't them all of a sudden having, being like bilingual and multiple, you know, they weren't just like, hey, all of a sudden they're just, hey, uh, now I'm fluent in Spanish, boom. It's like the matrix. They're just stuck in the back of their head. Hey, I know jujitsu. This is amazing. <laughs> no, it was something that the Holy Spirit was using through that moment of his presence. Now, here's the cool thing. You saw a physical outpouring, not just of the Holy Spirit, but of them coming out of the room. They were overflowing out of the room. That's what's supposed to happen when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. It's not just filling us so that we can be like, oh, it feels so good. It's like a nice warm hug. Feel so warm and fuzzy. No, it's supposed to spill out of us. It's supposed to overflow. And then chapter 3, we see them going out. We see them healing somebody that was, that was crippled from birth. And then, boom, all of a sudden, miracles begin to break out. Chapter 4, we see the same thing. We see opposition 
to the spirit of God and the presence of God moving through his people, yet it did not deter them. We get to chapter 5. So we, we see these things happen. It's like, wow, all of a sudden, there's, it, it's so cool because now Peter's walking around and like he's making shadow puppets and it's healing people. It's like, I, don't, I don't think that Peter was being intentional about his shadow. Can I just say that? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Peter was like, well, the sun is rising from the east, so line up your sick on the west. Here comes my shadow. No, I kind of get the feeling that Peter was just literally minding his own business, but because he had been with the presence of God so deeply that what was flowing out of him even was impacting people when it encountered his shadow. How many shadows in our life do we try to keep from God, yet when the presence of God fills our life, our shadows actually bring people to God? So as I was continuing to pray, be like, all right, well, God, well, if we don't want us to keep kind of moving forward here, like, what do you want us to see? And he just over and over again, he's like, the presence, I need you to talk about the presence of God. Then this last week, it was confirmed ridiculously in multiple times and ways. And God said, hey, remember Exodus 33? Because for me, that's actually been a chapter in the Bible that's been very formative in my life since I was about 14 or 15 years old. So can you go with, that's in the, in the Old Testament. It's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, and then after that is Exodus, chapter 33. And let me, while you turn there, I'll give you some context of what's happening. We are, in chapter 33, we're in the middle of Moses leading the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, fulfilling the prophecy and the promise of God for God's people, and also the, the promise of God for the nation of Israel was connected to the promise that God made to Abraham. Now, if you, if you read through the Old Testament, New Testament, and everything in between, you will see, you will see the faithfulness of when God gives his word, he's, he's, he's a God of his word. If he makes a promise, he's going to fulfill his promise. It may not happen in the time that you want, but God is always going to be faithful to his promise. And he was faithful and has always been faithful to the nation of Israel because of the promise he made to Abraham. And there's other promises that generationally and from lineage also God made throughout. It's just beautiful to see how God is faithful. So don't, don't ever, you know, somebody needs to hear that this morning. Don't ever think that God, well, I kind of felt like God gave me this promise and it's just not happening. And, and I just wonder if, like, if God's, you know, going to do what he said he's going to do. No, he will. But what you have to do is you have to surrender to his will and his timing as well. It's easy to surrender to his will. It's not as easy to surrender to God's timing. And God is looking for people that will do both. And so in, in if, you, if you are familiar with, or maybe even if you're not, it's okay. I'll, the nation of Israel was having some issues through the wilderness. They were at first very excited of the opportunity to go to the promised land that God had promised them. The land of promise, hence the name, the promised land. And so they were very excited about that, but instantly as they're coming out of Egypt, and you're familiar with the story, Pharaoh, who eventually, because of the plagues and the pressure, and God set the whole thing up so that God would be glorified through this, Israel leaves. The Pharaoh changes his mind, sends the armies after him. Then we have the confrontation at the Red Sea. And they're like, wow, this is great. You brought us, you know, at least we had, you know, we were in slavery, but at least we had homes, at least we had food, at least we had this and that, but now we're going to be slaughtered out here. Thanks, Moses. Thanks a lot. Like quickly, it turned around. And God said, I did this on purpose. Watch this. Moses, raise your hands over the Red Sea. I mean, come on. 
Moses, can you can demonstrate this for us? I'm joking, no. He's, he's doing this over a sea of Kansas City fans, the Red Sea. That's what he's doing. I just feel the spirit of the Lord right now. No, I'm joking. I ain't about to, because I think they're going to lose. Anyway, so, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. What, is, what does Moses do? Raise his hand, boom. Red Sea, boom. They move through. And then the enemy comes behind them. And then God says, Moses, put your hands down. Hands down. Sea comes in, boom, destroys their enemy. Then Israel's like, wow, that was awesome. That was great. A couple of minutes later, it seems like, we're starving. You know, it's like, so there's this pattern all throughout the wilderness where they would see God move, be filled with faith, and then instantaneously, as soon as circumstance came at them, that confronted what they thought God had said, then it went to a place of, 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 uh, of doubt. It went to a place of, of really rebellion. To the point where at one point Moses went up to the Mount, Mount Sinai to hear from God. And he comes back down with the Ten Commandments. And he was gone for a while. He was gone for a minute. But while he was gone, they were tired of waiting. So they took all the gold that they had and they turned it into a golden calf and began to worship it. Like Mel Brooks' version. I'll give you these 15, <laughs> these 10 commandments. Anyway, I'm sorry. But Moses was mad and what did he do? Smash. Smash the ten. He was mad. And so we see God could have been like, bzz, 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 let's start over. But because the presence of God is faithful and the promise of God is faithful, God continued. So, so we get to this point in Exodus 33 where this cycle of, of doubt and rebellion and Moses praying and repentance and coming back, like it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And so we get to Exodus 33. And let's say, let's go to verse, uh, verse 15. Uh, verse 14, actually, verse 14. <clears throat> it says, the Lord replied, because we got there's a dialogue going on between, between the Lord and between Moses. At first, God's like, Moses, I'll go with you, uh, but not with these people. I can't take you anymore. They just, they just, they won't stop rebelling. They won't stop coming against everything that I'm trying to do. I'll go with you, but I'm not going to go with them. And Moses, who... If, I always look at some guy, I'm like, if that was me, I would have been like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> Let's go. Bye. <laughs> no, but, but Moses, as a leader, began to intercede for the people. And it, it, sometimes it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around, like, well, did he change God's mind? Or was it just a moment where God was trying to see what he would do? Would, as, as a leader, Moses, was this an opportunity for him to, to fail or an opportunity to be the leader that God called him to be? <clears throat> and he began to intercede, he began to beg for the nation of Israel. And it says in verse 14, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, notice that. He didn't say me. He said us. He said, do not make us leave this place. For how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us. Now, here we go. This is an underlying highlight spot right here, if, if there's any. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people of the earth. Let's say this one more time. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people of the earth. Um. Not our church services, 
not our worship, um, not our methods of ministry, not our crews, not our facility, not our social media game, not our following. Like none of those things are what sets us apart from people. The only thing, not, not even like a denomination or a particular theological lean. No, what is the thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. And Moses was telling God, he's like, listen, um, I would rather us stay in the wilderness forever and have your presence versus going into the promised land without your presence. Because that's basically what God was telling him. He's like, I'll, I'll, you can have the promised land. As a matter of fact, even in verses before, he's like, I'll even send angels to go ahead of you and to wipe out all the nations that are ahead of you that would try to come against you. I'll take care of all of that, but I'm not going. Because why? Because the presence of, there goes my water. Just getting all, getting all passionate up here, kicking stuff. And I'm going to step down there too, now I'm going to slip and fall. Anyway, but here's the thing, like guys, God will not, his presence will not go with those who are living in rebellion to the Lord. And that's something that is so, that, that hasn't changed. No, nope, new covenant, it's all under grace. We're good now. Now, because of God's grace, you know, he just sees, he, see, he knows I'm not perfect. You know, he knows I'm not perfect, so it's all good. The grace of God has me covered. And we think that we can continue to live under the grace of God in complete rebellion to who God is. And you're like, I'm not living in complete rebellion. What are you talking about? Scripture tells us if we're guilty of breaking one law, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing. So it's really easy for us to compare ourselves with other people. I say, man, I'm not like that guy. I'm not like that lady. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. What have you done? Check your heart. Sometimes we want to check our actions, but we don't want to go deeper to check our heart. God's not looking at what the actions on the outside. He's looking at the brokenness on the inside. And God's presence will not go with those who continue to live unrepentant before the Lord. That's why our repentance has to be a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing. I prayed and I repented one time at church, and I'm good. I get to go on with things. No, every single day you need to wake up and you need to talk to the Lord and you need to repent. You're like, what am I repenting for? You see, here's what you got to understand. When we ask the question, what am I repenting for, we're not understanding what repentance is. Because that means we have a mentality that repentance is only about making wrong all the, all the th or making right all the things that I'm doing wrong. Well, repentance is actually a response to the invitation of God to follow him. And when we see repentance in that light, instead of seeing it in, well, now, I mean, what, what sins have I committed uh, first thing in the morning other than being angry because I haven't had a cup of coffee yet? It's not about that. It's about every single day you responding to the invitation of the Lord to follow him that day. Israel followed God multiple times, but then they would get off. And then th extreme things would happen, not because God was cracking them down because of their sin, but because they had walked out from under the covering of the Lord. And most of them at that point were like, whatever, promised land. And I think the church in America has experienced something over the last couple of years where we have been more open to wanting to walk in the promised land even if we didn't have the presence. God, build our churches, give us Give us buildings, give us numbers, give us status, give us money, Lord. Give us, you've promised us the promised land. And God's like, yeah, but you don't have my presence. 
And we're like, can't wait for the promised land because God promised it. And what he promised, he will give. Come on, let's talk about the promises of the Lord right now, church. And maybe we've done that in our own lives. Like we look back and maybe in your younger years or whatever, maybe there were some words that were spoken over your life. And you're claiming the promise of God for your life, the promise of God for my marriage, the promise of God for my children, but you're not bringing the presence of God with you. And I'm telling you, we got to get our priorities straight. We got to change how we see things because the presence of God will not go with those who are living in an unrepentant life. The church will not be what God has called the church to be if we aren't first and foremost sold out and passionate about the presence of God. How come we do worship when we start every Sunday? Did that was that a memo sent out a couple of thousand years ago when the church started? Hey, this is how you this is how you order the service at church. You 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 kind of have some music playing while people are coming in to kind of set the vibe. And then you, you're, you know, the group, the group comes out with a countdown, Zach's chapter 29, no. And then you sing three songs, and you try to get people engaged, and, or you just give, give time for people who come late to church. No, no judgment. Sorry. Things happen. And then, and then there's, there's some announcements, guys, because we got to have some news, some announcements. Then we force people to talk. And then we open up the Bible. Like, like no, that, that wasn't some memo that's been handed down from generation to generation. Worship is the thing that sets the tone for the presence of God. Scripture tells us that the, the, the worship, and, worship and praise of the Lord is what actually attracts God to inhabit the praises of his people. You're like, well, I thought the Holy Spirit was already here inside of us. You, got, don't, don't, you can't limit your understanding of the reality of God because he's inside of us. He's also around us. Um, and, and no, that's not some new age weird like, yes, he's in the trees and he's in the rocks and he's in my pet dog and he's in my, my Apple watch, like all these things. No, like no, no, God is, God is interested in interacting with the part of his creation that he made in his image, which is humanity. He created all of it, but there's only one piece of his creation that we, that we can say was created in the image of God. That's you and me. And so there's still a seed of our maker inside of us. And that's the part that cries out in life to find purpose and to find meaning and to find something that we can hang on to that that means more than just getting up and going to work and getting a paycheck or receiving a paycheck from somewhere else because I'm too sick to work for the last two and a half years. And and then we and then we you know we we just live life. That's none of y'all, don't worry about that. <clears throat> No, we, we exist to be used for the cause of Christ. And that can't be done just through religious effort. I'm telling you, there, there probably is nothing more exhausting on the face of the planet than trying to follow Jesus with your own strength. Man, I gotta, I gotta read more Bible. Because ah, I'm, you know, I'm following Jesus. Ah, I have to go to church because I'm following Jesus. I have to raise my hands. Wow, this feels weird. I have to, apparently now I have to get in another group of people that I don't know yet. Like I have to serve. I have to join the dream team. I have to, you know, we have all these have tos because that's what happens when we don't understand and embrace the need of the presence of God. Because when we serve God without the presence, it becomes what we have to do. But when we have the presence of God alive inside of us, it becomes what we get to do. I wrote this down. 
says the presence will go only with those who live surrendered because we have to live a surrendered life. You can't, it's like repentance. We can't, we can't surrender once. Yeah, I did that that one time in that special surrender service we did. No, it's like surrender is every single day. Like, thank God for Jesus that he only had to go to the actual cross once. But for you and I, he tells us to take up our cross daily. Now, that's not a wooden one, and you're not going to be nailed to it. Jesus did that for us. But what is your cross? What is the burden? Another thing to give you confidence in that, because if Jesus tells us that the yoke is easy and the burden is light, he doesn't say there's no yoke and there is no burden. He just says it's easy and light. You're like, well, uh, I don't know about you, but I've experienced the yoke and the burden and didn't feel so light. It's amazing what the presence of God will do. The presence of God will remove the weight of the yoke and the weight of the burden. It doesn't take it away, but he goes with you. Why? Because all of a sudden there's a supernatural power of God, the spirit of God alive inside of you, breathing in you, breathing through you to do the things that you were created to do, but without the stress and the weight of doing it on your own strength. Something's got something's to shift. Moses, go ahead and hop up on there. We're going to... I want to I want to pray for y'all here in a second, but <clears throat> there's guys. There's something inside of my heart right now that I wish I could just rip it out and give it to everybody. But I'm telling you, you, you gotta. It's your choice. You have to choose the presence of God. The presence we can't we could never create an environment perfect enough to just push everybody into a passionate pursuit of the presence of God. Because some of y'all, let's be real, some of y'all have to work through your your church upbringing. Some of y'all have to backtrack a little bit. And some of you, believe it or not, to, if I, it's even weird for me to describe it this way. Some of y'all, though, have the blessing of not being brought up in some of the religiosity of the church world. You're like, man, I just, I wish I, wish I had y'all's opportunity. I wish I was raised in that environment. And there are, there are, many, many benefits and blessings for that. I was raised in church my whole life and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like, haven't you experienced hurt and pain from the church? No, not from the church, from people. Let me say this, the church has never hurt a single person. People have. There's no such thing as church hurt. There's just people hurt. We, that's one of the tools the enemy has used is he's allowed, he's allowed us to believe the lie that the bride of Christ is the thing damaging people. And it's not. It's just broken people that need Jesus. And, yeah, that's even pastors because I don't know if you knew this. Pastors are people too. <laughs> and that's actually funny in many different ways. But <laughs> So you're not perfect, so don't feel like you need to act like you are. But you're also, if you've said yes to Jesus, you're also redeemed. And you do need to act like you are. You need to live a life worthy of the calling that is upon your life. You need to live a life that is worthy of what Jesus did for you and for me. Now, if you do that with just trying hard, trying to be a good person, trying to be a Jesus follower, it's going to struggle. But if you dedicate yourself to pursuing the presence of God, I'm here to tell you it's going to be the most phenomenal thing that you've ever done the most powerful thing that you've ever experienced. So how do you pursue 
the presence of God. You make room for it. You make time for it. And yeah, that's where say, you know what, I'm going to find time in the morning to have some devotions. And there's a million ways to do that, but the most important part is that you make time just to be with Jesus and to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you fresh every single day. There's 200 bazillion Bible reading plans, and they're all great. It's fantastic. But just because we're crushing plans and checking boxes that we spent time in the Bible doesn't mean that we're actually connecting with the presence of God. I'm going to say something really weird to hear from a pastor. If, you're, if you don't get into the Bible every single day, but you get into the presence of God every single day, it, it's going to be a benefit for you. Are you telling me you don't need to read my Bible? I don't need to read my Bible, Pastor. No, you do. And I think the presence of God will actually draw you into his word. But you have to understand the word is something that was inspired through the Holy Spirit, through people, so that it, we could be drawn closer to God. Because the Holy Spirit was never meant to be something that was just this floaty thing that you and I get to interpret as whatever we want it to be. No, it's the word actually tells us very specifically who the Holy Spirit is. But we need the presence of God. So I wanna I wanna pray for some people right now as we as we wrap this up. And I want you to understand something. There, there are some people that are here right now that you have been, you have been struggling and stressing and trying. You've been trying to get breakthrough in certain areas of your life. You've been in tears. You've been on your knees. But you've never allowed yourself to surrender to the presence of God in your life. And I want to encourage you that today is your opportunity. And it's as easy as just saying yes. Yes. And saying, God, I'm not even going to move forward without your presence. I'm not going to move forward. And I would encourage you, don't. Israel was okay with promised land without presence, but Moses wasn't. You know what's interesting? In the Old Testament, God said, I won't go with them because of their sin. But when we get into the New Testament, Jesus says, do not go forward without my presence. Old Testament, God's like, go for it. Go get it. I'm not going with you. But in the New Testament, Jesus tells his followers, no, no, no. You stay right here in Jerusalem. Don't you move. Don't you move until you have my presence with you. Don't you move until you have my Holy Spirit with you. Can you do me a favor right where you are? Just close your eyes. I felt specifically as I was praying, not just for both services, but for this service that there are businessmen and women in this room that you have been praying and asking God for breakthrough, for creative ideas. And with good intention that you want to do things for the Lord, you want to accomplish this and that. And, and God is here today to encourage you and to challenge you. Hey, listen, I want you to, I want you to take that agenda, even your good intentions, and I want you to put that down. I want you to surrender it. I want you to surrender your goals. I want you to surrender your financial goals. I want you to surrender your dreams. And I want you to come after my presence. I want you to make room for me. I want you to make room for my Holy Spirit to come into your life. Where you used to fill your time with meetings and networking and trying to connect with people, trying to meet people. The Lord is saying, I want you to take time. 
where it's just you, and I want you to put on some worship music, and I want you to just sit there, and I want you to fight through the distractions that are in your mind. If that's you, can you just raise your hand so I know who I'm going to pray for? Actually, I'll take a step further. If that's you, can you just stay in up right where you are? Stretch both hands to heaven. The presence of God always comes with an impartation of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray right now, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray right now for an impartation of your Holy Spirit to come on every single one of these individuals. As you did in Acts chapter 2, Father, would you fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit? Would you baptize them in your Holy Spirit right now? Whether it's for the first time or whether it's fresh right now for multiple, multiple times, Father, we just pray right now for these men and women. Lord, Lord you've placed calling on them in the, in the business world. You've, you've placed vision inside of them. You've placed goals and dreams inside of them. So Father, I pray right now, Lord, that this moment of correction would come to them. And Lord, that they would begin to pursue your presence more than they pursue the goals. And God, through that passionate pursuit of your presence, Lord, I know, Father, that even this week, God, you're going to give them specific downloads of things that they need to change. Strategies, connections. Father, we pray that you would fill them to overflowing. And for anybody else that's here, where right now you would say, I, I need to passionately pursue the presence of God more than I ever have before. Can you join them? Just stand up right where you are. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to wrap up this morning. And guys, listen, the pursuit of the presence of God is not just a one-time thing. Something is going to start inside of you today that is just that. It's the start. It's the beginning. It's not just, it's not an emotional response. It's a declaration of faith that says, God, I need you. I need you more than the air that I breathe. I need you more than the impending deadlines that are coming up behind me. I need you more than the pressure to perform for a relationship. I need you more than the pressure to even have my own needs fulfilled, God. I, I, I just, I have to be with you. So, Father, we cry, we cry out today, Jesus. And from the depths of our heart, Father, even where our flesh is not where our spirit is, God, we, we verbalize and by faith we speak that we need you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would pour yourself out in your people like you did in Acts chapter 2, Father, and what spilled, even though they physically spilled out of the upper room, they also spiritually spilled out the Holy Spirit to those around them. So, Father, we pray, Jesus, that today as we wrap up and as we go out of these walls, God, that what you are filling us with your presence is meant to fill our city. So, God, I speak to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and, God, we declare your greatness over our region. We declare your power over our region. We declare light over the darkness in our region. Father, we speak hope where there is hopelessness. Father, we speak breakthrough, Lord Jesus, where there needs to be breakthrough. 
Father, we lift up the leaders of our region, Lord God, that you have allowed to be in place, Lord, that you would encounter them, Lord, that you would move through them. God, that they may come to know you if they don't, and those that do, that they would get on their knees before you, Father, and begin to cry out for your will for this region. We thank you, God, that you are the answer to the brokenness that's in front of us. Thank you, Jesus. wait for a minute. With your eyes on Jesus, just wait for a minute. We need you, Jesus. God, it is your presence that sets us apart. It's your presence that makes us holy. The word holy means set apart. I thank you right now that you're bringing healing. I thank you right now that you're moving in hearts. God, right now, there's you're moving on individuals that know their relationships. They need to, individuals they need to go after and make things right. Forgiveness that needs to be given, grace that needs to be extended. I'm telling you, I don't know who it is, but there, there are some people that is there's a direct connection to you giving forgiveness that's going to cause people to run to Christ. God, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you that you are faithful. God, we thank you that you are our Savior. You are a God who saves. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.